Now let's jump into the Word. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, this is a letter from Paul. Uh, we think it's really about his third letter that he wrote to them. And uh, this is a letter that he wrote to a church that I like to say the church gone wild. It was a crazy church, a lot of crazy stuff happening. Go back and read the first letter. It's insane stuff happening there. Um, as we look into this one, though, we're going to be addressing a particular issue in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8, that we're going to hit on that finishes up our series, Six Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. And uh, I, I, this is one of the ones that I think most of us in some part believe because we want to believe it so much. It's something that it really just is intuitive to us, especially in the Western world, especially in the United States. We are, we are very much in tune with the statement I'm about to tell you. It's one that you probably expected was coming, or if you didn't see it on the cards that we sent out. Uh, it's one that I think is just a part of our, kind of just the fabric of our society because of who we are as a nation. And it's this idea that we can overcome anything if we just put our minds to it. That we can really work hard enough and overcome any obstacle if we put our minds to it. In fact, the way that we say it, the way I've got it stated here for us today, here's the phrase you've probably heard. God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that? God won't give you more than you can handle. You might have heard it different ways. Maybe in a problem, you might have heard something to the effect of um, somebody telling you, hey, when God closes one door, he opens up a window or he opens up another door, right? Uh, He won't give you something you can't handle. You can deal with this. And it's usually something that's said in a very helpful way. It's meant to be very encouraging. It's meant to be something that encourages us in a difficult time. But if you've ever been in a really severely difficult time and you've heard these words, you recognize they don't help you at all in that moment. They really don't bring any hope in the midst of a very difficult time that God won't put you through more than you can handle. Because in that moment, oftentimes, you feel like you're already going through something you can't handle. And some of you in here have gone through something like that. Or maybe you're going through it right now, but ultimately everybody will at some point in their life go through something that's overwhelming to the point at which they feel like they cannot handle it. And at that point, if you really try to put your hope in a cliche saying like this that we think sometimes is from the Bible, you will find that your hope will be gone because you'll be overwhelmed in a way that you thought God would never do to you. I'm here to tell you that's not in the scriptures, that God will not give you more than you can handle. In fact, Let me show you where that idea comes from, and let's kind of debunk the uh, interpretation of this verse that it comes from, and then we're going to jump into what the Bible does say about this kind of stuff. So if you would look at 1 Corinthians, actually flip back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, and I want you just to, to hear a verse, and you'll see where it kind of comes from. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Read it one more time. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, let me give you the reasons why this doesn't point us to the idea that God won't give you more than you can handle, or God won't let you go through more than you can handle. First of all, look at the words there. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. This idea is talking about temptation. It's not talking about suffering. It's not talking about trials and tribulations. It's talking about a sinful temptation that might be brought to you. 
It's something that comes up to you that you struggle with or that comes before you that's a temptation. He says, no temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. Then he says, God is faithful. Talking about what he's going to do with that temptation. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, notice, it automatically looks like, hey, you should be able to overcome any temptation on your own, but that's going to be debunked again right here. Look, at, I could, This is a whole other sermon I could get into, but I will not, right? He says, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, the way of escape. Now, he doesn't get into it here, but it's just right throughout the whole letter, the way that he provides of escape ultimately is to set our hope on Jesus and not whatever the temptation tells us will satisfy us. And so it's to put our hope in the Lord. In that moment that we're tempted, we turn our eyes to Jesus and say, Lord, remind me, remind me of why you died on the cross for this temptation and this possible sin that I might go into if you don't show me your grace. Lord, remind me, and he will fill you with thoughts about what he's done and why he's done it, and it'll work in your heart. And so he says, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. In other words, your ability to escape because you're born again, he's talking to the church, is that God has redeemed you. You're no longer enslaved to your sin, like Romans 6 talks about, but now you have the ability to fight that sin by turning your eyes to Jesus, not by overcoming it on your own, but by turning your eyes to Jesus. So he's talking about temptation. He's not talking about suffering, to this idea that God won't give you more than you can handle when it comes to temptation, that's true as long as you say that, yeah, because God will give you a way of escape. When it comes to suffering and hard times and trials, that's not what this passage is talking about. That's why it's so important to understand the context of what you're reading and not just cherry pick a verse, right? So here's what we want to do. I want you now to turn back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. Let me read it, I'll pray, and then we'll kind of break it down as we go. 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that, we will, that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many, thanks, many, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that even though we sometimes can be overwhelmed, that, Lord, you are never overwhelmed. I thank you, Lord, that you were all powerful and you were all knowing and you were all wise. And there is nothing that escapes your understanding. There's nothing that can uh, thwart or overturn your plans and your promises. Lord, you are the solid rock. We are not to help us today to see how we can put our hope and trust in you. And that, Lord, you would receive the glory and that we would be changed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, in this process because we know you love us because you gave us your son. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go back. Let's read it one more time. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, and they're struggling because they're not sure if they should trust in him because he's kind of been talked about as being weak by some false teachers. And so he's pointing out to them, like, you're right, I'm weak. (laughs) Yeah, we struggled so much. I was so overwhelmed. Look at verse 8 again. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. That sounds like he's getting into some things that he can't handle, doesn't it? We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It sounds like he's saying we were so overwhelmed that we, we thought we were going to die. We were despaired of life. We thought maybe life should just be taken from us. It's so horrible to think about what's about to happen. Indeed, he says in verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You see, this idea that God won't give you more than you can handle is actually antithetical to the gospel. It is the opposite of what the gospel is. The gospel is that you will be enduring things that you can't handle, even as simple as your own sinfulness that you can't overcome, that you must have someone overcome it for you, that we are unable to handle the things that come at us, especially the great things like sin, Satan, death, hell, those things we can't overcome. Yet God has loved us so much that he made a way for those things to be overcome, not because he strengthened us to be able to overcome it ourselves, but because he gave us Jesus. So we're going to unpack this the rest of the time we're here. Here's the major point I'm going to tell you now that we're going to unpack the rest of this time. This is kind of the way we're going to say it. It's not this whole idea that God won't give you more than you can handle. Okay, it's not that. God will give you more than you can handle, but not more than he can handle. God will give you more than you can handle, but not more than he can handle. And this should be a hope for us. This should be a hope that we know is secure because God already paid the price to secure it in the person and work of Jesus on the cross. God will give you more than you can handle, but not more than he can handle. Go back and look at verse 8 and 9 again. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I'm just going to unpack that statement. God will give you more than you can handle. You need to be ready that you will go through things that you cannot handle. The scriptures are replete with it. Listen, Psalm 22, 1 through 2, the psalmist says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, Jesus quotes it on the cross. He says, Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Sounds overwhelming, doesn't it? Psalm 88, 13 and on. He says, But O I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This guy's so overwhelmed that he says, the only thing I have is the darkness that surrounds me. It seems like he's talking emotionally and physically. This is overwhelming. He's going through something he can't handle. 2 Corinthians 11, later on, Paul describes some of these things that he's gone through. He says it like this, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 and on. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes last one. Just so you know, 40 lashes was thought to have been the, the number that would kill someone. So to, to take somebody to the brink would be to take them to 40 minus 1. Five times, he said, he's been through that. I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That doesn't seem to line up with the guy we know. It's Paul, right? anxiety that he's struggling through, all these things that he goes through, sounds weak, not like the guy that we often exalt. He says, who is weak? And I am not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, he says. This is a guy who's overwhelmed continually through his ministry, going through things he can't handle. He says it, but we don't know, want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, but we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 12, a little later, takes it further. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. That's real key for us. We'll hit on that again. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. for My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is not a guy saying, hey, I can do it. I can overcome it. He's saying, it's going to come at me. And when it comes at me, I'm going to rest in Jesus. When it comes at me, I'm going to rest in the arms of the God who loves me so much that he would make a way for me to be with him for all eternity. In fact, Jesus went through things that seemingly were overwhelming for him. Remember the garden before he went to the cross? What we're celebrating next week. In fact, today is Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus rode in on the donkey that had never been written. And he comes in, everybody's cheering for him, laying palm leaves down as he comes in like a king. And then a few days later, he's arrested and he's taken and beaten and he's thrown into a midst of a, of a mock trial and, and just shamed and beaten again. And then he's thrown onto the cross to die. A murderer's death. He knows it's all coming. When he goes to the garden, this is what he says to his disciples in Matthew 26, 38. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is the king of the universe who just asks of his friends to stay with him and watch with him. And they even fail him there. It almost sounds like that psalmist is back there saying the same things. You've, you've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. You will go through things that are overwhelming. You will be given more than you can handle. Don't live in a falsity. Don't live under an untruth. Don't give it to somebody else because you will go through those things. Listen, Elizabeth Elliot, you know her, right? You don't look her up, Elizabeth Elliot. I'm not going to go into it now. She says, Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself 
and protection from suffering. This is a woman who lost her husband, right, on the mission field. Say it again. Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son, she says. He will not necessarily protect us, not from anything it takes to make us like his son. A lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into the process. She understands because she's been through it. And she knows that God uses those things because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. God will give you more than you can handle, but not more than he can handle. God will give you more than you can handle, and here's why. Look at it in verse 9 again. In the middle of it, he says, let me back up. I'm going to read verse 8 on. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves. You hear that? He gives the reason. He gives the purpose. But that was to make us to rely not on ourselves. You see, this is the problem, is that we rely on self continually, constantly. We rely on self for how we're going to provide. We rely on ourselves for how we're going to be able to get through the problem we're facing. We rely on ourselves to be able to, to figure out the problems ahead of us. We rely on ourselves to be able to be the best dad, the best husband, the best mom, the best sister, the best wife, the best kids. We rely on ourselves continually over and over, over again. Self, instead of relying on the one who made us for relationship with him. That's the ultimate problem. That's the problem that, 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 that brought it all down in the garden, right? Was, was looking to self and not looking to the Lord. Not doing what he wanted, but looking to self, thinking I know what's best. Relying on self is the issue. And so he says this thing right here, that was to make us to rely not on ourselves. God will give you more than you can handle in order to make you not rely on yourself. It's hard to understand. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 5. It's just an excerpt, but listen. He says, thus says the Lord. This is words of the Lord to Jeremiah. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. When we trust in self and don't say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want? And so you may say, well, he doesn't always answer me. Maybe you need to wait. Well, I can't wait in this situation. Then you try to do the best you know because you've been walking with him and been face-to-face with him and you know what he wants and what he doesn't want. And then you go to him and you still ask and you try to understand and discern how the Spirit leads and you seek after him, but not relying on self. That's relying on the flesh, relying on your own strength. It's as cursed as that person. To rely on self is an affront to God and his glory. He's created us to be in relationship with him and to depend on him for all things. And not to just act like we do it, but to recognize it and live in it and to enjoy it. Spurgeon says it like this. He said, the Lord warded off the evil by sending Paul a great trouble when he was in Asia. Thus does our all-wise and almighty God arrange providence to prevent his servants from falling into self-trust. He says, depend upon it. He is doing the same for us since we have even a greater need. The idea is if he does it for Paul, the apostle of apostles, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, if he does it for that guy, 
If he sends him through all these difficult things and allows him to go through it so that he would not trust himself, you can best be counting on it that he's going to put us through those things so we won't trust himself, right? We should be ready for it. And we don't understand how it's good for us, but in the end, it will be good for us because all things work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? All those caveats we've already discussed previously. In many ways, I'll say it like this, when God gives us more than we can handle, he's giving us more grace than we could ever earn by doing it ourselves. Spurgeon goes on, he says, to trust in oneself is a piece of impertinent pride, insulting to the majesty of heaven. It is a preference of ourselves to God, so that we take our own opinion in preference to his revelation. We follow our own whim in preference to his providential direction. We, as it were, become gods to ourselves and act as if we, know, if we knew better than God. It is therefore a very high crime and misdemeanor against the majesty of heaven that we should trust in ourselves and in whomever, whomsoever this evil exists. It takes a man intolerable to God. It makes a man intolerable to God. It seems like a little thing, right? I'm just going to do what I've always been taught. I'm just going to overcome this step. I can do this. I've got this. Hey, it's okay. My kids do this all the time, right? Hey, buddy, let me help you put your shoes on. No, 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 I got it, Dad. You know, five minutes later, hey, let me help you with the shoes. No, 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 I got it. I got it. <laughs> five minutes later, we got to go. Let me help you with the shoes. No, 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 I got it. I got it. And finally, I'm going to help you with the shoes, right? And we're the same way. We never really outgrow that. We just don't, we just don't even recognize that we do it. But God will give you more than you can handle, but not more than he can handle. So how does that play out? Look, go back and look at that verse again. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, right? But on God. God will give you more than you can handle in order to make you rely on God instead of yourself. Look, God takes you to the end of yourself so that you will put your hope in the only one who can actually overcome all things. He will take you to the point where you see that you can't do it. God loves you too much to let you place your hope in yourself. He wants the best for us, and therefore he gave us Jesus to bring us into the best relationship we could be in so that we could depend on him because he knows all good things. He knows all right things. He knows the best things. And so he wants us to have those things, and he won't allow us to take ourselves down a wrong road. He will bring us through things that will make us not rely on self and rely on him. And because he loves us more than we can ever imagine, he will do whatever it takes to position us so that we continually look to our all-powerful Savior instead of looking to our inept selves. Psalm 121, 1 through 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Look, go back and look at the verse again, verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you see what he's saying? He could have just said on God, but he said on God who raises the dead. Why did he say that? I think for several reasons that you see here. Keep reading. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. So he's saying, this God who raises the dead, he will deliver us from such a deadly peril. He has delivered us from that, and he will deliver us. 
Here's what I think he means all together in all those pieces really quickly. You can go back and study it yourself and let me know if you disagree. This is what he says. This God who raises the dead, this is who you should rely on because he might deliver you from death. He might deliver you from death. He might be doing for you like he does for Paul here and deliver him from death even though he thought it was knocking on the door. He might deliver your loved one from death. He might save the one that you're praying for right now and that you're hoping for to be saved right now. He might do those things. So put your hope in him because he's got power over death. You see? He's the only one. So rely on him. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on him. He's also, I think, saying that he might deliver you, listen to this, he might deliver you through death. He might deliver you through death. Go back and look at it again. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He thought he was going to die. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see that? What he's saying there, just in this small little implicit way, is that he did that that so we would trust in him because he can raise the dead people. So if we died, he can raise us up. Right? That's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, these guys say, yeah, you can throw us in the fire. When they're, when they're told they have to worship a false god, they say, hey, throw us in the fire. Our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we will worship him. Just do your worst. We trust in our Lord, who has power over death. So he might deliver you from death, and he might deliver you through death. Because he will deliver you through death if you trust in Jesus. You understand that? It is solid. It is secure. There's no, no worries. It will happen. It's a solid promise because it's been purchased in the immeasurable worth of the blood of Jesus. And it is secure. And it's been done. It was stamped done and finished 2,000 years ago. And it is no way can it be taken away. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, listen, we will not fear though the earth gives way. You hear what he's saying? I'm not going to fear even if the ground falls open beneath me. I will not fear. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, if the whole world goes crazy and erupts in nothingness, I will not fear. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not fear. Because why? God is our refuge and strength. And so that's easy, right? It's easy to say that. No, no, no. He doesn't just say it. He's proven it. In the Old Testament... The idea was if somebody was in need, if they were in hurting, they could go to a city of God and they could go in and that would be, a, they'd run into the strong tower there because God had a hedge of protection around there. They would go there and be protected. And that was just a forerunning picture of Jesus, that when he went up on the cross and opened his arms, he's saying, I am the tower of refuge, run to me. For if you might die here, but you'll be with me forever and life does not end for you, for you will not taste of death. Oh, death, where is your power? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has swallowed it down on the cross. It is no more. You have no more worry. You have no more fret, no more, no more fear of what's going to come because you've been overcome. It's all been overcome in Jesus, and he's made the way. So he may give you more than you can handle, but it's never more than he can handle, never. So he might deliver you from death. He might deliver you through death, but here's the truth. He will deliver you. He will deliver you. If you are his, if you put your hope and trust in Jesus, he will deliver you. Paul says it like this later on in 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 16, he goes on. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Listen, he's not trying to make light of what you're going through. He's not trying to make light of the stuff that you've been through that is overwhelming. Not at all. He's putting it in perspective for us. He's in it. In light of eternity, this thing you're going through, yes, it's overwhelming right now. It is so difficult. You can't handle it. But God can handle it. And in the end, when you get to be with him and you're going to experience the full weight of his glory and his presence and the joy that comes with it for time that's everlasting and everlasting, it will so far outweigh it that it will be inexpressible, the joy that you have. And it will seem light and momentary in the affliction that you went through because of what he's done for you in Jesus, because he's made the way, because he's secured it, because he will deliver you. He will deliver you. Maybe from death, maybe through death, but he will deliver you. And how do we know he will deliver us? Because he already paid the price for our deliverance by the blood of his son, Jesus. Our salvation is secure. I've been saying it over and over again. Our rescue is assured. Not because we hold on to it. Not because we will overcome, but because he has already overcome it all by paying the price in our place on the cross. And when he drank down the dregs of death on the cross, he accomplished all that needs to be accomplished so that we will be redeemed. It is sure. We will be saved. We will be changed. We will be delivered. Whether from death or through death, we will enjoy his presence for the rest of eternity to the glory of God the Father. Amen? This is good. Mitch Chase is the guy who writes for a blog I read. He says, Paul isn't trying to minimize your affliction. He's trying to maximize your perspective. Here. It's so hard in the midst of suffering. It's so hard in the trials. To have an eternal perspective. And run to Jesus and see that he did all that so that he could have you for eternity. He did all that so the one you love, they put their hope in Christ, would be with you and him for all eternity. So how do our trials and afflictions bring us such assurance of salvation? John Piper, he says it kind of like this. How do you know that you're his in a way? He says, a Christian is not a person who believes in his head the teachings of the Bible. Hear it again. A Christian is not a person who believes in his head the teachings of the Bible. For Satan believes in his head the teachings of the Bible. A Christian is a person who has died with Christ, whose stiff neck has been broken, whose brazen forehead has been shattered, whose stony heart has been crushed, whose pride has been slain, and whose life is now mastered by Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You may think, well, I'd never live up to that. That's okay. Jesus lived up to it for you. And every day, he's making you more and more into his image. And he lets you sometimes be overwhelmed with the things you go through so that he can overcome them for you so you can put more hope in him. And you'll be renewed more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. He, may, he will give you more than you can handle, but it's never more than he can handle. And look at this last bit. Read verse 10 with me. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Look, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Look at that verse 10 again. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. We are not our hope, brothers and sisters. Jesus is our hope. But we have nothing we can trust in. He's either all of our hope or he's not our hope. We can't trust in self to overcome these mighty things. We trust in Jesus. 
And if he can defeat death, he can handle anything. If, if he can defeat sin and Satan and hell, he can, he can handle anything. So let us put our hope in him. Let us put our hope in him. Not that God won't give us more than we can handle, but that when he does give us more than we can handle, we know that he's already handled it all in Jesus on the cross for us. And that's where we find our hope. That's where we find our security. That's where we find our joy. God will give you more than you can handle, but not more than he can handle. And he goes on, he says, you also must help us by prayer. This is how it works. You see, what prayer is, prayer is actually the the outliving of our trust in him. It's the outliving of our saying that we really believe that he is the one who can handle it. It's, it's, It's our going to him because when you are overwhelmed, that's when you go to him, right? When you recognize where you really are, that's when you go to him. And by prayer, you seek out his face. Lord, help me. I feel lost right now. Where are you? Help me, Lord. Show me how to trust in you. Help me to believe in you. Your prayers actually make a difference for the glory of God when you pray. Do you recognize that? Prayer changes things. I don't know how it works, but listen to what he says. You also must help us by prayer. He's yearning, yearning. He's saying, please help us by praying. Please help us by praying so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. In other words, pray for these things that we want. Pray, Lord, if you want us to stay, we'll stay. If you want us to continue on the work, we'll continue on the work. And if you do that, we'll do it for your glory. And if you don't, that's okay. We give you praise and glory for it. We want your will over all things because we want you because I'm dead in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me, right? So I just want what you want. And if you deliver us, we'll praise you. But Lord, save them. That's why we can pray for our missionaries. Save them. We can pray for our friends. Save them. We can pray for our loved ones. Save them. But if you don't, Lord... Do whatever you do for your glory and help us to trust in you in the midst of it. Help us to put our hope in you, for you know more. You know better than us. And when it hurts and when we struggle, listen, in Romans 8, he tells us how to pray. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. One of my children... um, has had some struggles with desiring to pray in front of others. And so as we get together at night and pray for a long time, this particular child wouldn't pray. And, um, yeah, we ask all of them, no matter what age, to do it, just however they want to pray. And, like, little Wyatt, I can't tell what he's saying most of the time right now. But he prays, man, longer than anybody. I don't know what he's saying, but he's devout in his prayer. And we just say, everybody, I kind of kinda show them how to pray, and then they do it. One of my, child, one of my children really struggled with, with wanting to pray. And he just didn't know what to say. He was afraid he was going to say something wrong. You know, and uh, I just tried to assure him, look, it doesn't matter. You just pray whatever is on your heart to pray. Because even if you don't say it right, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And the Son has done the work to earn the right to stand at the right hand of the Father and interceding on our behalf. Whatever we need, he tells it to the Father. And he's paid the price if you put our hope and trust in him. You don't have to worry how you pray. Just pray. Talk to the one who loves you so much that he would give himself on the cross for you. Talk to the one who loves you so much that he would give his one and only son who's worth more than all of creation. Just go to the one who loves you that much because he's the one that can help. You can't overcome everything, but he can and he already has in Jesus. And it may be from death or through death, but he will deliver you if we put our hope in him. Paul gives another time in Colossians about how to pray like this. He says, 
Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, he says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Like he doesn't say, pray that God would release me. He says, pray that God would give me a way to speak the gospel in the midst of this. You see the difference? Lord, if you release me, yes. If you don't, yes, just give me a way to speak of your greatness in Christ Jesus, your son. Pray for me that I might have an opportunity to speak about Christ. We should be praying for one another as we pray, say, Lord, heal them. Lord, save them. Lord, deliver them and give them opportunity to make much of Jesus in the midst of it. Give them opportunity. And even Paul says there, he says, listen, just overwhelms me. This guy would say this. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on, which, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear. If he's worried about saying it right, it's okay for us to be a little bit messed up, right? That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Or how about this, Second Thessalonians will end here, 3, 1 through 5. Finally, brothers, he says, pray for us. And he, he, Paul's just said, if we would just ask people to pray for us and tell them how we're hurting and struggling, it would change our faith family. If it wouldn't just be about medical, but include that as well, but just say, like, I'm really struggling. I don't have much hope right now. I'm really struggling. I, I'm doubting right now. I need, I need, would you pray for me? Man, it would change everything. Look at this guy who had it all together, the, the chief of chiefs when it comes to apostles. And he says, pray for us. Everywhere, saying, pray for us in our weakness. Pray for us in our struggles. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of of Christ. And that's what we need, brothers and sisters. That our hearts will be directed to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. The one who never falters, who never wavers, who never ever, in one moment, thinks about dropping us out of his grasp. He has us in his grasp. We have our hope in him and he has made it sure he will deliver us. God may and he will let you go through things that are more than you can handle but they're never more than he can handle. So let us put our hope and faith in him. Father, today we call upon you because we cannot. And Lord, many of us in this room, I just, I just feel this burden right now, Lord, for so many in this room that are struggling and hurting and going through things that are, that are beyond them. Lord, let us not walk as if we have it together. Let us speak and ask one another for prayer. For we know that that way many thanksgiving will be given no matter how you deliver let us put our hope and faith in Jesus, not in our ability, not in our, our steadfastness, but in the steadfastness of Christ. Let us put our hope and our faith and our desires in him for your glory and for your fame. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.